And so this week, we're going to uh, continue in Ephesians, and we're, we're getting to the end uh, of Ephesians. Uh, some of you may be, may be happy about that. Uh, some may not. I don't know. Uh, I imagine uh, after last week, we had some lively discussion here and there. Uh, but we continue now with the kind of the higher family theme. But he starts to, he really addresses a different issue when he starts to talk about children than, than he did with marriage. And it's something that we're going to put two sections together that a lot of times people don't. But I think that they, they very much follow the same theme. And, and that's what I want us to see is that this week Paul is telling us how to honor authority. And we have the wrong title. I know I tried to change that. Okay, well, I messed it up again. <laughs> it's honoring authority is what we're talking about this week. Because let's face it, everybody in the world has some kind of authority over them, right? We all have to answer to some kind of authority in our lives. Even if you, you know, are wealthy beyond imagination and, and such, there's still some kind of authority you're going to answer to, even if ultimately that authority is God. And how we honor authority in our lives, how we respond to it, says a lot about what we believe and how we are going to go about life. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And Paul tells us that authority, learning to honor authority, begins in childhood. And it continues on through. So he says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, one of the principles that I think that Paul wants us to see in this is that honoring authority is godly. And think about it, why wouldn't it be? If we can't honor earthly authority, how are we ever going to honor heavenly authority? I've never seen anybody in Scripture that God told Ignore every man and woman in the world and, and have no authority over you but me and be belligerent to everyone else. Anybody ever seen that? I never have. In fact, we see in the Old Testament many times, even when we had some of the most wicked kings like, like Ahab and Queen Jezebel, when you saw Elijah talking to them, what happened? He was still respectful. He still was, hey, you're the king. You may be evil, and God may be going to be deal with you in a way that's, you know, un unfathomable, but he still was respectful. You see, there's something about honoring authority that goes straight to the core 
of our faith. And learning how to honor authority begins in childhood and is commanded by God. So, young people in here, God is speaking to you in this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. Part of your faith as a person who is still living at home, still under authority of your parents, part of your faith involves obeying your parents. God expects this. God expects you to honor your father and mother. And how does Paul uh, emphasize this? He goes back to the Ten Commandments. Now, don't you find that interesting? Because this whole, whole book's been about grace. He's not talking about the law. He never talks about the law. He talks about grace, and he talks about all that God has blessed us. But here, he returns to the Ten Commandments and says this was a commandment from the beginning, and it's still in force, and it brings with it a promise. He says, honor your father and mother. And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then after that, in the Old Testament, it says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, why would honoring your father and your mother affect living long and prosperous in the land? How would those go together? Well, what's involved in honoring father and mother in this sense? As Paul says, in the Lord. Well, that means honoring their faith. Their faith becomes your faith. That means honoring the commandments that are set up and the traditions that are set up, honoring them and continuing them through so that they are practiced as a part of your life and not just your parents' life. And as you continue to do that, what's going to happen? Well, you learn to honor authority early. You're probably going to continue to honor authority through your life. Now, he says, in the Lord. Uh, okay, in the Lord. Listen, we don't need to deal with this for very long but he says, in the Lord, meaning so long as it's obeying God. If, if a parent is for some reason telling a child to sin, that's unacceptable. And Jesus made his thoughts very clear on that when he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him that he had a millstone tied around his neck and he was thrown into the, into the ocean. So when he says in the Lord, he's assuming that the parent's instruction is also in the Lord and not outside that. Okay, and so we're just we're going to continue to move that direction. But this is nothing new as Paul goes back to the Ten Commandments. He's showing that God has had this idea of authority in mind and learning to honor authority properly from the very beginning. And why will this pay dividends for your whole life? Well, because again, who in here is free from authority? Anyone? We all have it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, there's an authority you have to answer to, and how you answer to that authority really affects your life, doesn't it? We, we don't get to be belligerent with all authority because that never ends well. We, we have to learn to honor authority in our lives. And so Paul is telling you, young people, learn to listen and honor your parents' authority now as an act of obedience to God. As an act of obedience to God, your faith is expressed in honoring your parents. Now, this is to you, young people. This is the, the Bible speaking directly to children. Honor your parents in the Lord. You see, submission, as we've been talking about for children, is to honor their parents. 
Remember he said submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ? Christ is to be the head of everything. Christ is to be the, the boss uh, in, in all things. And so submission looks different for a wife. It looks like respect. For a husband, it looks like love and security. For a child, it looks like honoring parents. Do you notice at every level of this, what this household code, as it's often called, is doing is removing the power struggle? Is there ever a power struggle between parents and child? You see, what he's doing here is he's removing it. We, we saw last week that he removes the power struggle in marriage when, when he tells wives and husbands, here's how you submit to one another, and, and now we're not struggling for power, we're serving each other, we're loving God, we're serving God together, and now he moves on to children and says, your job is to submit and honor your parents. Now again, who's perfect at this? Nobody. But we are to... Honor father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, I want you to hear this. The better you learn this lesson now, the more it will serve you your entire life. Because honoring your parents and obeying them doesn't mean that you can't ever disagree with them. You see, this is one of the lessons that adults often learn the hard way, and they, they don't learn until they're older, when they finally learn, like, you know what, I can question authority if I do it respectfully, and in the end, understand they're the authority. I can disagree with them, but that doesn't mean that I get to rebel against them. And if a child is able to control themselves and say, hey, mom and dad, I, 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 don't, I just don't like this. Now, they may say, eh, you just don't understand yet, and that's okay. I appreciate you telling me you don't like it, but you're still doing it. Any parents ever get that talk? Yeah, and it's okay. Because there is a dynamic. This is more than just, hey, I need my kids to mind. And, you know, kids, this is more than just, well, my parents just, just keep their thumb on me all the time and I can't ever do anything. This is teaching the entire process of communication, of honoring authority, and, and understanding what is right in the bigger picture. Because all of us at some point in time are going to have something that we want that is going to be opposed by the bigger picture of what is right and what is good and what is necessary. You know, adults, how many times you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work, but the mortgage says it's necessary. You see, that lesson's learned in childhood. And it's learned through honoring parents. But children aren't the only ones he talks to here, okay? He also talks to bond servants. Now, who were these bond servants? Because he says, bond servants obey your earthly masters. So again, we come to the idea of authority, people who are in authority. These bond servants in Paul's time were slaves, but not slavery like we think of it in, you know, Civil War times, okay? But they were slaves. I, I don't want to lessen that. These were people who often sold themselves into slavery to better their way of life or at least secure a life free of poverty. A bond servant was a person who gave themselves over to serve in this house and, and that they had to. And yes, they're owned. I mean, they have no rights. But many times in this situation, this was 
an elevated position from the position of poverty that they lived in before. And they secured like, hey, I'm going to be able to eat. I'm going to have a house. I'm going to be able to actually even make a little bit of money. I'm going to have a better life in this than I did before. Now, oftentimes, the servant would handle many of the family's business and personal affairs and many times would actually be the most competent person in the house. They would handle so many affairs, and they would handle so much that many times they were the most knowledgeable, they were the most competent person in the entire house. They're kind of running the whole thing, the business side, the family side. They're running a whole lot of stuff. But in Roman society, who had ultimate authority over the family? The father. And when I say ultimate authority, I mean ultimate authority. The father had the choice of whether or not he wanted to kill his children. They had that right in Roman society. He had the right to send his wife away. He, he could, th there were so many rights that a father had. So a servant was just there literally to do the bidding of the, the, the father, the patriarch in the household. Many times completely ignored societally. So the fact that Paul is even addressing them shows that something different is very much going on here. He has addressed wives, children, and now bond servants. Three classes of people that were completely ignored and without rights or power in Roman society. And yet Paul is addressing them all as equals. So the gospel was, was giving people dignity well before many other things in, in society ever would. And so... Many times these people would sell themselves into slavery because they were at such a low point in life. Now, is there ever, you think, a, a chance that a person at a very low point made a decision that they regretted later? You ever done that? You know, things got kind of bad and made a panic decision. A few years later, you're like, huh, I'm not sure I like this. Because many times it was for seven years that you would be a bondservant. And so about year three, as you figure out, wow, I'm doing a lot of work, and they're getting really rich off this, and I'm, I have food, I have a house, but I'm not really seeing the benefit of all the work that I'm doing. They are. Is it possible that that's going to affect work ethic then? You ever had a job you hated? Was it hard to get motivated? Now, what if you had a boss that was absolutely miserable? And then what if you had absolutely no way out? No one was going to listen to you. You're serving your slave. It doesn't matter. Now add on you're a Christian. What do you do in that situation? How do you glorify and represent God in that situation? So Paul addresses them and he tells them. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ interesting, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. You notice what Paul's doing here. He says, you're not just working for nothing. I know it feels like it, I know it looks like it. You're not getting paid. They're getting rich off of what you're doing. You're the smartest guy in the household. You're taking care of things for everybody. And it doesn't feel like it's coming back to you. But what does he say? He says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. He says, God is watching. 
God is paying attention. And so he tells him, look, whatever you're doing, do it with all your heart as to the Lord. Serve God. Now, what is the, the modern day equivalent of this? You know, we don't have a lot of bond servants in this world anymore. But you know what we do have? We have employers and employees. And that's exactly what he is describing here. This is a professional relationship. And we all have jobs to do, right? We have work that we have to get done. It's part of life. God never intended a world where work was not a part of it. You know, people kind of get this idea of the Garden of Eden, of people, you know, just laying around naked and doing nothing. No, no. What did he say? He said, it's your job to tend the garden and to keep it. That's to grow it, to develop it, to, to work, to, to make it produce, to subdue it. So there was work. Even before sin entered the world, God had called us to a God-glorifying work in our lives. And that has never gone away. God did not remove that. But what did happen is that work got cursed. It will produce thorns and thistles. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's not going to produce what it should. And it ended up producing things like slavery. It ends up producing things like, like jobs that, that aren't rewarding in the moment, that, that seem to just drain your soul from you at times, that, that, you know, bosses that are horrible. I mean, it's just the world that is broken. And what is the answer to all of that? The answer is that we, as Christians, work for God. Whatever job we do, we are to do it with our whole heart, because we're working for the Lord. We are to serve God in our work ethic. We're to show up, we're to get the job done, and we're to do the best job that we can do because that's what God has called us to. And you know, I know that's easier said than done when you're in a tough situation. But I can tell you there's a number of times in my own life, both out of churches and in churches, that, that I have worked in situations that if I could have had my way, I'd have just folded it up and walked away right then. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it was worth it. People I'm working with are rude. They're backbiting. It, it's all horrible. And every time, God had to remind me and said, you work for me. Show up. Do your job do it well because I'm, gonna, I'm the one ultimately paying the wages here. And you know what I figured out is when working for God, he has you do some interesting jobs. And when he does that, it doesn't always make sense in the moment. But when you do the job, it's absolutely true that whatever good you do, God will bring it back to you. God will bring it back to you. And I could tell you multiple stories in my own life where I've seen that happen. But I just want you to, to be able to adopt that idea that if you learn honoring authority as a child, it's going to follow you your whole life so that one day when you have that difficult job, that difficult season of life, that you just, you just want it to end that you have a legitimate reason to show up and say, you know what, I have to do this well because I work for God.
He's my boss. This guy over here that's rude and may tell me what to do at my job, he's not my boss. God is my boss. And he told me to honor this guy right here who treats me badly, and I'm going to. And you know what? There is a reward in that. There is. God promised it here. And he's already said that walking as wise, not as unwise, making the best use of the time because the days of evil involves submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. And that includes submitting to authority in the workplace. That includes children submitting to parents and obeying them in the Lord. We don't often get to choose the authority that's over us. And where God places us, we have to learn to honor that authority in godly ways. Now, that doesn't mean doing something dishonest. If you work for someone that's dishonest and they want you to cook the books, then you take a stand for Christ and say, no, I will not dishonor my God in doing this. I will do the job you call me to do ethically, and I will do it to the best of my ability, but I will not do something wrong. You see, that's what it means to obey in the Lord. We don't have to follow through and do something that we know is a violation of holiness. But we do need to honor them as authority. Now, that's not the only group that he talks to. Again, who else does Paul talk to in these sections? Those who are in authority. So we are to learn to submit to authority but then he also calls us, those who are in authority, to be an honorable authority. I know in this room we have people who have been the boss. You ever had a bad employee? You ever had somebody that you're like, oh man, if they come in my office one more time with a petty complaint, I'm firing them. You don't have that authority, I know, but I'm firing them. I'm just going to tell them they're fired from my office. Get out. Because it happened. You know, there, there are two sides to these stories here. And, and God says, hey, if you're in authority, be honorable with it. Be the type of authority that, that represents God, that shows his goodness, that shows his grace, but also shows his type of accountability. See, part of exercising authority properly is understanding the beginning place, the foundation of all relationships and interactions that we have. And what is that foundation? Everybody is created in the image of God. When everybody's created in the image of God, what does that mean? That means ultimately before God, we are all equal. You may be an authority in this matter, in this situation, that does not place you above them in life before God. And when an authority remembers that, hey, we're all created equal in the eyes of God, then it, it tempers that temptation to look down on those below you. It brings up your level of respect for those that you have authority over. You care for them. Now, does that mean that you accept, you know, belligerence and disrespect and disobedience? No, you can 
you can exercise authority properly and, and, and hold such things accountable. But the check will be there when you realize I have to answer to God the same way they do for how I treat people. And if they're disrespecting me, God's going to deal with that. And if I disrespect them, God's going to deal with me. And it changes the way we handle things. And so I want you to think about this. If we're all made in the image of God, then prejudice, you know, prejudice, racism, sexism, favoritism, they all disappear when we genuinely see others, when we genuinely see the image of God in others. I can't hate you because I see God in you. I can't judge you just on your appearance or, 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 or your gender or your lot in life because I see God in you. And so suddenly we're at a different starting point when I see the image of God in the other person. And so then I see my, my authority that I'm given in whatever situation it is, what is it? Is it for me to exercise and have power or is it to be used for their good or a greater good? Well, that's exactly what Paul has said already in Ephesians. Remember he said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for edifying and building others up according to their need. You see, if I, can't, if I have to learn how to just control my tongue even to, to the level that I can't say corrupting things to people, then how I exercise authority is, is going to be greatly influenced by my understanding of grace and, and God's righteousness. And I'm going to do it differently than the world. You see, Jesus told the Pharisees, he, he said, the rulers of this world love to lord it over them. You ever had that boss that liked to lord it over people? I've been there. He says, but it must not be so with you. You see, his people are not to, to enjoy authority in abusing other people. They are to use their authority to build other people up, to help them. And so, where does that begin? What is the most basic place that authority is learned to be exercised properly. What does Paul say in Ephesians 4, uh, 6, 4? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What is this? It's the proper use of authority. That, that, that's it. Parents, I mean, it, he says fathers here because, again, in Roman society, the father had absolute control over children, okay? So he could kill them. He could abuse them. It, it didn't matter what it was. He was in charge. And so what Paul is doing here is answering a cultural thing that, yes, fathers may have all of the authority in the world. What does he tell them to do? He says, use it correctly. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Use that authority properly. And, you know, I think that that's what... Most people in this world, not everybody, not everybody has children, not everybody's married, and that's okay. God will, will guide you in the same attitude, the, the same principles of attitude and humility still function. So we don't need to, you know, ignore them if you don't have children or, or don't, you're not married. You, you just learn to apply them where, they're where it's necessary. But for most people in this world, where do you learn how to be an authority? With your children. That's where you learn. And it's a great trial and error period, isn't it? Because you mess it up one day, well, let's try again tomorrow. 
We learn how to be an authority by parenting. We learn how to focus on the right things. We learn how to train a person and move them forward in life. How to invest in them. And so what does it look like to provoke children to anger? Because he says, don't do that. Do not provoke your children to anger, which I believe if left alone, no Christian principles added, that's where this is naturally going to go. Just like marriage is going to have this power struggle, so there will be this power struggle in, in raising children in which power will be abused. Children will be disobedient, authority will then be abused, and, and it's just going to be this repeating loop of destruction. Paul is breaking that loop here. He's saying, here's how to actually do this and be good at it. And I find it interesting that as far as bringing up children, he gives us one sentence. This is Paul who loves to string together long sentences, and he just says, don't provoke your children to anger, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm going to step out now. You know why? Because this is a long process. Parenting is hard, and he's not even going to try to answer every possible thing that could come up. God's got you on that. Just keep focused on the big picture. What is the goal of the authority that you exercise with your children? Because what does it look like to provoke children to anger? I think it's being petty, being overly critical, demanding perfection, or otherwise making a child feel like, like he or she is never going to be good enough, like they can't do anything good enough, belittling them, shaming them unnecessarily. I'm not sure shaming is ever really necessary. Because the opposite, what he says here, the opposite, the answer to provoking them to anger is what? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Have a response ready. Anybody in here's children perfect? Anybody is in here children ever want you to run your own head through the wall? Anybody in here actually surprised that your children tried stupid things? How many of you look back at your childhood and you're like, you know, my kids are pretty good. <laughs> they didn't try near the stuff that I did. <laughs> now, you don't tell them about that, right? You don't let them know. No, it's, it's this process that we have to answer constantly with God and we have to have an, an idea of where it's going. And if the idea to have perfect children who never do anything wrong, guess what? You failed. You know how you failed? You had kids. That's it. They're, they're, they're not ever going to be perfect. You're not ever going to be perfect. And so that's why he says, just keep bringing it back to God. Just keep bringing it back to God. Bring them up. Let them know who God is. Let them know the, the ways of God. And yes, that is the moral standards of God. It is holding accountability where it's necessary, but you know what it also is? It is also teaching them the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. That's why he says the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yes, there has to be accountability for children. There has to be accountability for, to, to, to help them understand that consequences are real. There's a reason that Proverbs says that folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod drives it far from them. It is the parent's job to drive that folly out and help them find their way in the Lord. 
But if bringing up a child in the Lord is only focused on accountability, you're missing the whole picture of what God actually wants to happen. The amount of times grace and love and forgiveness and mercy are shown should way outweigh the number of times accountability and the rod are necessary. And we get this backwards. And I know people, people quote this all the time, and it is important, okay? But we've got to put it in the proper context. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. We've often said, spare the rod, what? Spoil the child. No, no, what does the scripture actually say? Whoever spares the rod, what? Hates. Hates his son. It's not just spoiling a son, it is teaching them if there are no consequences in life, if there is no discipline, then you are literally being a party to their death, the book of Proverbs also says. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. What does the word discipline mean? How many of you get an instantly negative reaction when you hear the word discipline? Anyone? That's what we've come to believe, right? Discipline means punishment. No, discipline does not mean punishment. You know what discipline is? It's training. If you're a disciplined person, does that mean you go around all day punishing yourself? No. What does it mean? It means you're able to do the right thing under pressure and, and that you can follow the same path over and over and over without, without uh, wandering from it. A person who is disciplined in their diet, what do they do? They, they're, they're not getting on. They, they have a way they want to eat, and they're going to stay to it. A person that is disciplined in, in their thought life, what do they do? They don't let their thoughts wander. They stay focused where they want it to be. And to discipline a child is to help that child learn how to be focused in life in the right direction. Every now and then, yes, that requires the rod. Sometimes there are decisions that need to come with a quick and immediate bit of pain that says, you know what, I don't think I want to do that again. But there's so much more to it. When he says bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, how often does God have to actually punish you? Does he very much? Let's be honest, no, he doesn't. Will he? Yeah. There are people in here that can raise their hand too and say, oh yeah, I, I really pressed it with God once and he showed me just exactly, he thumped me and I got back in line and I don't ever want to do that again. But most of the time, 99% of the time, how does God react with us? Grace, mercy, training, like okay, well, let's just try it again. Let's try it again. Do you know the studies have, have actually shown that a child, you know, when they're learning something, you know, and you say, how many times do I have to tell you this? You know how many times they actually need to hear it? About 5,000. About 5,000. So if you're keeping count, you're like, how many times? You know, start thinking, am I to 5,000 yet? Because that's actually when they're going to start to take. So if you're just at 100 and you're already frustrated, now you could get some patience on me. You've got a long way to go. You see, that's what the training and the discipline of the Lord is, is learning his ways, which means learning about him, which means learning his greatness and his love, learning that God can be trusted in all circumstances. 
Learning to lean on God when life doesn't make sense. Which means, parents, you got to be able to do the same thing because you're modeling it for them. And studies have shown over and over again that the more a parent is willing to be transparent about their struggles in life and their faith and how their faith answers those struggles, as opposed to the legalistic pretend faith of, I have no problems, we are completely righteous, and we will never do anything wrong, and you won't do anything wrong, and I never do anything wrong. You know, which group have kids that grow up to follow Christ? The group that says, you know what? I don't have all the answers. And they're willing to talk to their kids about it. And they're able to share, here's my process. I'm praying about this, but I don't know what God's doing. And I struggle with this. And, and yeah, I ask God to forgive me. And they're willing to even apologize to their kids when they're wrong. They're the ones that grow up going, you know, I think mom and dad did a pretty good job here. God, God really did help them. And I see it. And I understand it. And I understand I don't have to be perfect to follow God. It's this legalistic side over here in which perfection is demanded but could never be attained that guess what? They get out of the house and go to college and what happens? Oh, we're having fun now. We are free from this and we're going to go do whatever we can. And so we, we have to be willing to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are professional authorities. What is that? He says, masters, do the same to them, to your, uh, to the, the bond servants. He says, stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Paul says, those who are in authority must do so knowing that they too are under God's authority, which means humility. It means be an honorable authority that reflects God's character. There is never anything wrong with holding someone accountable for actions that require accountability. But that doesn't mean that we belittle people. That doesn't mean that we treat people with disrespect. I've often, I've worked under the, the, the impression that if, if somebody had to be fired that worked under me, by the time they get fired, it should be no question as to why it's happening. It should not be a shock. You know, we've dealt with this enough times. I've talked, I've trained, we've tried to help, we've tried to move things forward. And if it's just not happening and we have to let you go, that maybe by that point you walk in and they're like, you know what, I know why you're here. I'm not getting the job done. It's not happening. I'm not fit for this. I need a different job because this one is not good for me. You see, this same pattern holds for all authoritative relationships. And that's why I'm... I put all of this together because learning to honor authority works, starts when you're a child and it goes for the rest of your life. And you know what's something interesting I found in this entire section when we talk about marriage, children, and, and then, you know, employers, employees? Have you noticed that in this section, God doesn't give anybody any actual power to do anything? He just tells them what their responsibility is. He doesn't say, you get to do this, you get to do this, you get to do this. What did he say? He says, no, you are responsible for this. You're responsible for this, you're responsible for this, you're responsible for this, and you are responsible for this. It seems like we're kind of all in the same boat here, doesn't it? Whether husband or wife, parent, child, 
we all are submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We all have different responsibilities, which means we are to steward our position with God. A steward is a manager. If you are a husband, steward that position to God's glory. If you are a wife, steward that position to God's glory. Do what he tells you to do. If you are a parent, steward that position for God. If you're an employee, work for Jesus. Steward that position. It's for his glory. If you are an employer, steward that position for God. Be a light for him. Because honoring authority and being an honorable authority ultimately leads to a greater faith. It does. It allows us to see things about God we would not have seen before. And I have a quick story I want you to hear where, where this is, evidences itself, okay? In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, it says, When he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Who was a centurion? He was a Roman Gentile soldier, okay? A Roman Gentile soldier. It says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, very quickly, what are some details on this? This is a centurion who's in authority, who he's what? He's, he's interceding on behalf of his slave. What is he doing? He's stewarding his authority well. He took time out when, when culturally they would be like, well, just let him die. He's a slave. Nobody cares. What did he? He said, no, this person matters. And he was willing to go to Jesus and be, honestly, that would be weird. And in, in that Romans didn't deal a lot with Jews, but they didn't have to. So there's a whole lot going on here culturally that is not normal. And he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, my servant is, is suffering terribly. Can you heal? And he says, yeah, I'll come. He says, no, just say the word. I understand authority. You have authority. I recognize it. I know what authority is. I have authority in my life, not like you. Just say the word and he'll be healed. You know what? He understood authority. He exercised his authority for the benefit of one person who was below him socially. And he looked to the one who was higher than him, understanding his authority. When we understand authority, the same thing will happen. We will steward people to Jesus with our authority or with our lack of authority. How we respond to authority will steward people to Jesus. That's what God wants to happen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. And God, I pray, Lord, that you help each of us to look at our attitude towards authority. God, that it would, it would reflect your grace, your holiness, your righteousness. God, whoever is in authority, 
in this room. God, I pray that, that their exercise of authority does the same, that it reflects your holiness, your grace, your righteousness. God, that we would be a people that wherever we are and whatever we are doing, our lives would speak to your glory, to your grace, to your kingdom. God, that we would steward our position, that we would be honorable authorities, that we would honor authority because we honor you. Lord, teach us what it is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.